right, so we are in John chapter 14, and uh, two weeks ago, uh, if you'll remember where we left off, we're in the last, we're at the last supper, right? We're at the last supper. Jesus is preparing his disciples, his apostles for his death, and uh, Judas has, has left to betray Jesus, so, so Satan's plan to destroy Jesus is in place. But also in place is God's redemptive plan for the world. And these apostles are going to play a big part in that redemptive plan because they're going to be the ones who are going to carry the plan out to the world. <coughs> Excuse me. And as we look at John chapter 14, I want you to understand that the divisions written in the book, the books of the Bible, so in John, there is no, these are a letter. There's no chapter. Do you, do you write your, your letters to somebody and say, uh, Dear Aunt Mary, uh, da, 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 uh, chapter 2. Right? We don't do that. Well, neither did John. When John wrote this, it's just a letter. He's writing a letter. So when we get to chapter 14 and we stop, we go, oh, wait a second. When we pick it up, we're like, where were we at? What was going on? So I want to I go back just a bit. We're going to pick up in chapter 13 to understand, because when we see chapter 14, the very first thing that Jesus talks about in chapter 14, I preached it in many, many funerals. I go to prepare a place for you. But we, we forget the context and who he's talking to. And this is, this is important. Is who is he talking to when he says, let not your heart be troubled. So we are going to go back to verse 36 in chapter 13. And we're going to pick up there. Remember, Jesus has been saying, I'm going away where I'm going, you cannot follow. And in verse 36 it says this, And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled, Peter. Believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
Do you catch the context? When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. How do you think Peter felt? He just stood up in front of all those disciples. I would never, I would lay down my life for you. I would never leave you. Right? Peter's pretty good about taking his size 10 and going, ah! <laughs> Do we ever do that? No, never. And Jesus said, Peter, you, you don't get it. Before the, before the night's over, you're going to deny you ever knew me three times. And then Jesus says what? Let not your heart be troubled. Don't worry, Peter. I'm not going to abandon you. That's what he's saying. I'm going to go prepare a place for who? For you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Peter. Peter, the one that he knows is going to deny him three times. He says, Peter, I'm preparing a place for you to come live with me. Because Peter's probably feeling about this tall, right? Matter of fact, if you go and you look at what happens when Peter denies him, there's a very interesting verse in, in Luke that talks about this that says when Peter denied him the third time and the, the rooster crowed, it says that Jesus looked at Peter and Peter collapsed in tears and ran away. He was ashamed. Poor Peter, I mean, he's sitting there. But Jesus says, don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yeah, Peter, you're fallible. You're going to mess up along the way. But I got good news for you if we can get the clicker to work. You can't mess up so bad that God will give up on you. Because we can do it. We, we can stumble in our faith. We can get caught up. We can have dry spells in our faith. Nobody's ever been there, right? Nobody's been there, oh man, I got to read my Bible this morning. You know, we, people can mess up in their faith. And you know what God says? He says, come on, I'm preparing a place for you. Don't forget about, about your failures in this world because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what a wonderful place that will be. But you, sometimes we say, God, I've messed up so bad, you must hate me. You felt that way? There's a lot of people who believe what? Well, I've messed up so bad that, that God has taken me out of his book. What did we learn a couple weeks ago? That you were in whose hand? 
You're, you're, in, you're in Jesus' hand, and nobody can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. And then he says, you're also in the Father's hand, and nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You see, you don't have enough mess up in you to make God give up. You, you don't have that much power. Because he has said, I love you, and I have saved you, and yes, you can mess up, and I will still love you. Amen? Amen? And, and Romans tells us in chapter 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just that is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Period. Exclamation mark. Amen? You ought to be happy about that. We ought to be happy about that. Because, you see, we can go through all those things in life that depend on us, and if we depend on us to get us through life, we're going to fail miserably. And even when we fail miserably, we have to know. And that's a pretty comprehensive list, isn't it? That, that none of that can separate us from the love of God. We can't mess up more than God will give up. He will not give up on us. Well, one of the beautiful things, because these guys are pretty concerned. They've spent three and a half years with Jesus. They've been at his side. They've watched him do all of these things, and he keeps telling them, I'm going away and you cannot follow. How did they start out their ministry? What did Jesus say to them when they started out? Follow me. Come on, guys. Leave your fishing boats, James and John, Peter and Andrew. Matthew, leave your tax collection. Bartholomew, come along. Nathaniel, get out from underneath the tree. Come and follow me. And now he says, you can't follow me where I'm going. Not now. I'm going to my death, but you have more coming. But he says, I'm not going to leave you forever. He says, what? He says, I'm going away, but I'll be back. I think uh, Terminator stole that from Jesus. <laughs> I'll be back, right? Because Jesus said what? He said, I'm coming back. He says, I'm going to build a place. I'm going to prepare that for you. In Acts chapter 1, it tells the story of the ascension, right? Uh, and 
after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up into heaven, will come just the same as just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Isn't that an amazing promise? I've gone. I've got work to do. I'm a carpenter. I've got a lot of places to build in my father's house. Because what, what does he say? In my father's house are many. And you have all kinds. Some people say mansions. Some people say dwelling place. Some people say rooms. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know in Revelation it gives me a pretty, pretty awesome glimpse of what his father's house is going to be like. I've always kind of hoped, you know, you ever, anybody here ever been in the South, like Kentucky, where they have, you, she's like, oh yeah, I grew up in Texas, right? And you've been in Kentucky, and everybody always builds a big house. The big house is where? It's on the tallest point. It's, it's so everybody around can see. And all the, all the workers, they live in the little houses. You know, yeah. And every once in a while somebody says, we're all going to go up to the big house. And we're going to see how the other half lives. And you go up to the big house. And they have those big doors. And they're always double doors. I've never figured that. There's always these big double doors that open. They're 12 feet tall. And you walk it, yeah. Oh, the skirts. I never knew that. There you go. It was the skirts to get through the doors, right? But they, you go in and you have, in a, in, a, in a typical southern mansion, you have the grand entryway. And you usually have this big sweeping stairway that goes up to the second floor. But it, and you look up and it's, it's just open and you're like, and I kind of imagine heaven's like that. It's just going to be so spectacular you're going to go, <gasps> look at that. Wow. He's building a place. But what? He said what? If I go to prepare a place for you, then I will what? I will come again. And 1 Thessalonians tells us about that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who have died so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. How You can't get much better than that, right? That we who are alive, and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you ready? Are you listening? Are you watching the news, the weather report in, is, in Israel? Because it says in the same way he, he went, he's going to come back. He left from the Mount of Olives, so I want to know if it's cloudy in Israel. Because he's coming in the clouds. But we should be ready. He's waiting. Now, now that doesn't mean we sit back and we go, well, the Lord's coming. There's nothing else for me to do but wait. We ought to be what? We ought to be busy about the Lord's work. Because he, he's given us some instructions. We're going to see those in a few minutes. And he says, I want you to be busy about my work. Because one of these days, remember he's written everybody's, he, he's written everybody's end date, right? He's also written in the Lamb's Book of Life, somebody who's going to be the last person saved before the rapture comes. Wouldn't it be neat to be witnessing to somebody and you're saying, hey, listen, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want you to tell you about how rotten we are. We're all of sin and come short of the glory of God, but I want to tell you how good Jesus is. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you go through the plan of salvation with them and you get to that last part and you're praying with them and they say amen and God says, the last one's in, let's go. <laughs> and you two go up together. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, he said he's going to come back. And the, la the other thing that he says to Thomas, poor Thomas, he, he has a hard time. He really does. He, he just, he, and, and there's a lot of people, a lot of people just like Thomas. You know, they're just, it, it sounds too good to be true. Lord, we don't know where you're going. Well, haven't I told you where I'm going? He says, he says, let me share with you how to follow me. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Now, in today's society, is that very popular? Oh, Jesus is too exclusive. That's what the world says. There's, oh, we're just going to pick our way to heaven. And Jesus said, no. She said, I'm the way. Because if you look at every other religion, if you look at every other way to get to heaven, you know what it, you know what it takes? It takes you climbing there. It takes you doing something. You doing this. You, and you know what? Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the, he said, I'm the way. The way is the cross. I'm going to die on the cross for all of your sins. Jesus said, I am the way. And next he said, what? I am the truth. I am the 
truth. Now you're going to hear a lot of people today, you're going to hear them say, well, you just need to tell your truth. Anybody heard that? What's your truth? Well, your truth may be different than my truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. And that's the reality, is that he said, I'm the truth. There, There has to be one true thing, right? Because if you start out with your truth is over here and my truth is over there, what's going to happen? We're just going to be going like this. He said, I am the truth. And then he said what? I am the life. You see, uh, you know, a lot of people will say that the, you, you only live once, right? YOLO. Anybody heard that? YOLO. You only live once. Or live your best life. Well, when does that end? (laughs) After you grow, right? It it ends in death. But Jesus said what? I am the life. And that life is what? Eternal. Sure. Sure. Our body here is, is, is dead. But to be absent with the Lord is to be present, or absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. See, we get eternity with him. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into my, into my, into my house, in my father's house. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And the reality is it's not exclusive at all. It is totally inclusive. For God so loved who? The world. Everyone has the opportunity. To, it doesn't matter if you, how hard you work. It doesn't matter. He says, I came to die for the sins of the world and you have that opportunity to come and share it with me well let's let's go on to uh, the last part of the of this first half we're gonna we're gonna divide this chapter up in two John 14 we're gonna look at 7 through 15 John 14 7 through 15 if you had known me you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? And he who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me The works that I do, he will also do. 
and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will do greater things. You will do greater things. Have you ever thought about that? What are those greater things that Jesus is asking you to do? Is Jesus asking you to raise the dead? Is Jesus asking you to heal the sick? Is Jesus asking you to restore the eyes to the blind? Now we need to look at the greater things as to what Jesus is talking about. You see, Jesus, in his, in his ministry here on this earth, never traveled more than 30 miles outside of Jerusalem. You could draw, you could draw a circle, 30 miles around Jerusalem. Jesus never traveled farther than that in his entire ministry. Well, what was his ministry? His ministry was to who? It was to the Jewish people. He was the Messiah, the sent one, the one that was sent to save the Jewish people. And that was what he, when he did his miracles, why was he doing his miracles? He wanted them to believe. And Jesus said what? He said, greater things you will do than me. Now I want you to watch what happens with what Jesus says before he goes. Because this will inform us as to what are the greater things. What are the greater works that Jesus is asking us to do? Matthew 28. What? What? Love one another. Well, that's part of what we're going to do. But in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is talking to his, his disciples just before he goes to heaven. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Sit in the pew. Oh, wait. Did I get that wrong? Go, therefore, and make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that, observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you see the scope of the greater works? Jesus never went more than 30 miles outside of Jerusalem. Where is he sending us? To the world. And for how long? He ministered for three and a half years. He will be with us until when? The end of the age. The scope is the world. The timeline is until he comes again. That's the greater works. What greater works can there be than bringing people to salvation? Have you ever, have you, well, let's, let's look at one other verse. 
because he even gives us a road map. In Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, right? The Holy Spirit, because now it's going to come and indwell us, right? The Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, put a dot on the map, Judea, the surrounding area, Samaria, a little bit bigger, and even to the remotest parts of the world. That's our roadmap. Our, when, when we talk about missions, you know where missions starts? Starts on Grand Prairie Road. When you exit this parking lot today, there's your mission field. It's right there. It starts in Albany, and then it reaches out from there. It goes out to Shed, to the teen challenge that we saw last week. It goes up to McMinnville, to, uh, to Five Rock Ranch. It goes out to Ecuador and Belize and Cambodia and Haiti and even beyond there because, you know what? We should be raising up people that are going to say, I'm, I'm ready to go to the remotest parts of the world. He gave us the road map of where we are to be going. Have you ever thought about the young man that Jesus raised from the dead at the funeral? Right? They're on the funeral procession, the young, young man in Nain whose, whose mama was a widow, and Jesus raised him up. You know something? He died a second time. The little girl that Jesus raised from the dead, she died a second time. Lazarus, who laid in the grave for for four days, died a second time. Everyone that Jesus healed eventually died. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you're going to die here in the flesh, but you're going to have eternal life. You have a new, you're going to have, as we rub our shoulder, right, Fran? Yeah, that, that shoulder that doesn't quite work, right? That knee that goes clickety-clack, clickety-clack, right? He said, we're, we, we're not going to have to worry about that anymore. In heaven, there will not be disease. Our bodies won't grow old. That is the greater work. The greater work is eternal. It's eternal. And we need to be sharing with those around us that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And they can have life eternal. Now... We come to a little part here that some people look at as the blank check. You ever, you ever heard people talk about, oh, well, Jesus said what? Anything you ask in my name, I'm going to give it to you. And, and how do a lot of people pray, right? At the very end, they go, oh, Jesus, I want this and this and this and this. In Jesus' name, now you got to give it to me. Does it work that way? No, it never has. Because 
what is he talking about when he talked? When, remember, context is everything. If we're looking at the context, he's talking about doing the greater works. If you ask in my name to do the greater works, which is what? Things that are eternal, I'll give them to you. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth nor rust does not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Those are things that are eternal. We invest in God's plan. Now our plans, we may think, oh, well, Lord, I just, you know, I really need a, a 2022 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, whatever they sell now, you know, I need the greatest and the best because you But God says, wait a second. There's a couple of things. He says, you, you're to pray things that you ask in what? In Jesus' name. Now, what does that mean? That you are agreeing with Jesus that this is what he wants. One of the first things we need to consider is that it has to be consistent it has to be consistent with the will of God. It has to be consistent with the will of God. So you need, before we start praying, we need to start thinking about, okay, is this God's will? Is this something I need to, you know, check in what is God's will? And sometimes even that is hard. Because, you know, we pray, we pray for a specific person to get saved, Right? We pray, oh God, please, please save this person. And then we look at 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, and it says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And if they don't get saved, we go, well, God, wasn't that your, your will? But what's the other half of the story? Does, does God just say, oh, they prayed, you're in. No, he gave man what? Free will. He gave us choice. And people can choose. And people may not always choose the way we want them to choose. So how do you pray for somebody that's unsaved? Let me give you just a couple little pointers. First of all, right out of this verse, pray for somebody who's unsaved to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because until they realize that Jesus is what? The way, the truth, and the life, they won't come to him. They have to understand the truth. And of course, Satan is trying to do what? He's trying to change the truth. He's trying to change what it means but Jesus said, I am the truth. Second, pray that they will not harden their hearts towards the gospel. Have you ever known somebody like that? They've hardened their heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, didn't he? Over and over again, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And if they harden their heart to the gospel, because Jesus says I, that, uh, that he is there. He's just waiting to be asked in. I, I have a gift for you. Will you take this gift? 
Jesus is not going to grab you in a headlock and say, take the gift! (laughs) He doesn't do that. He says, here's the gift. It's yours. All you have to do is take it. I don't want anything from you. I've met people like that. They've hardened their heart. Pray that they will not harden their heart. And then thirdly, pray that God will send people. Ooh, who's people? Anybody here a people? If you're a people, raise your hand, right? We're all people. Pray that God will send people into their path with the gospel and that those people would be obedient to share. Because God sends us into into the path of so many people. Oh, well, I'm afraid they're going to reject me. I'm really not confident enough. Pray that God sends people in their path. The people who moved in next door to you, God may have put them there for you to share Jesus Christ with. Who knows? The person that sits in the cubicle next to you. The person that, that lives down the street that you're like going, oh, I wonder, I wonder if that person knows Jesus. That's the way we pray. God, am I the one to, to share the gospel with this person? Pray for those The other reason quite often God does not answer our prayers is is we ask in the wrong way. Uh, James 4, 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see, God says, I want to answer your prayer. I want to bless you abundantly. But when uh, you've heard me talk about before, God will let an amazing amount of money slip through your hands if, if, if that's exactly what it's doing. If, it's, if it, God says, okay, I want to bless you so you can bless others. It'll go right through your hands. It'll go out to bless others. Now, when it starts getting sticky, oh, well, I, I, need, I really need this new thing, okay? Okay, yeah, you can bless me some more, Lord. Wait a second. Uh, oh, you, I still got this here? I, I need it. What? When we ask with the right motives, when we ask with God's motives in mind, with God's consistency, and, but there's another piece to the puzzle, isn't there? Because what else did he say? If you ask, let's look back at that verse, whatever you ask in my name that I will do so that, oh wait, condition, oops, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Does it glorify God? Will the answer glorify God? Or will it glorify me? Hey, look at my shiny new whatever. Oh, look at my brand new bass boat. Now I've got to spend every weekend on the lake because I just spent $50,000 and I got to I get a guy. I, I got to get all that. That's a lot of bass, isn't that? Or whatever it is, will it? Will the answer bring glory to God? That's what we have to ask sometimes. If you remember back in 
couple chapters ago, chapter 11, Mary and Martha, their brother was really sick. Lazarus was sick, and they sent to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, come heal Lazarus. And he died. And Jesus said to his disciples in, in verse 4, he says, we're going to wait two more days. For what reason? So the Father may be glorified. Not only is Lazarus going to be dead, but he's going to be good dead. I'm going to wait four days. There's going to be no doubt because the Jewish people believed what? The, the spirit just kind of hung around for three days, but four days the spirit's out of here. It's gone. He says, I want everybody to know that I have the power of resurrection because the resurrection is what changed everything for Jesus. The Father was glorified in the resurrection. You see, we need to pray about things that will bring glory to God instead of glory to us because that's usually what we, when we pray. Father, heal so-and-so. We don't pray, God. And I know, Janice, I, I am so glad you shared this morning because losing Anna was hard. But God's will gave five people the opportunity to hear the gospel that they wouldn't have had. Five people that now have the opportunity. And I, I can't wait to get to heaven. Because, because those are the kind of things when we get to heaven, God's just going to go, hey, guess what? You have to see what happened because of what happened to you. And you brought glory to me, and this is what happened. And that ripple effect's going to go out and go out and go out and go out, and you're like going to go, oh, no way. No way. You allowed this to happen to me so that you could get the glory? That is the way we pray. Well, you know, when we come to the Lord's Supper, all of this was going on during that time. This was all included in the Passover. You see, Jesus had just finished supper with these guys when he began to teach them, giving him his last, uh, last words of encouragement. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but guess what, Peter? Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm not going to give up on you. A matter of fact, when I leave here, I'm going to go build a place for you. I'm going to build your house. But to get to there, Jesus had to do one thing. He had to do one more thing for his disciples. Yes, he's going to teach them, and we're going to see the rest of this teaching as we go through the last half of John. What was Jesus teaching? He says, what did it take for him to leave? He had to die. And he had to be resurrected. He had to die. 
And you know, when Jesus died on the cross, it started all of this for us. Eternal life, forgiveness of sin. As he looked at his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. He could see the cross. They couldn't. He said, you'll understand it. You'll understand it in in a few hours. You will understand the gravity of what I'm going to do. My body will be broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my cup. For the remission of sin. Take and drink. And I will not drink this again with you until I do this in heaven. Because I've got work to do. Got the work of the cross. Got the work of the resurrection. And then I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to start building your house. And you're going to come and be with me.